Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. It's an early morning for you, I suppose. Yes, it is. It's uh, eight, eight o'clock in the morning uh, at the time of recording here. Oh, and that's there, great. There you go. There you go. You and I are like morning people. Other people are not yeah. morning people and, you know, it drives them nuts. <laughs> but that's okay. Yep. So this morning we are joined by Dirk, who is not at the morning for you, right, Dirk? It's uh, mid-morning, right? Or yeah, early exactly. afternoon? It's- it's mid-afternoon. It's mid-afternoon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you are in Germany, I think, right? Berlin or? Uh, Munich. Munich. Munich, okay. Yes, okay. It's got to be one of those cities. Is it really Munich or are you outside of Munich? <laughs> no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty much in Munich. I'm, I'm, oh, close, okay. to the, I'm blo- close to the Nymphenburg Palace in case that tells you anything. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome, yeah. I mean, because most of the time people say the nearest big city and that's actually not where they live, you know. I know, no, no. Munich is pretty expensive, so so a lot of people do live outside, but I like okay. the city. Yeah, because I mean, I, I say Knoxville, but really I live in a small town outside of Knoxville. But um, yeah, but Knoxville is so small to start with, like you can drive any place in 20 <laughs> minutes. So like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you can be on the outskirts and you can be on the other outskirts within 25 minutes or 30 minutes. So like, whatever, <laughs> who cares? Mm-hmm. So... Today we are talking about another great white whale multicast. (laughs) (laughs) That's at least what it feels like to me a lot of times. So, I mean, I know the vision for multicast has always been, oh, this is going to be so much more efficient. We can do packet replication in the network instead of at at the transmitter, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe, I mean, you know, it's never seemed to work out that way. So, you know, we talked your article here about this. If multicast is the answer, what was the question? Which is in, um, how do you pronounce this? Arzeev? I don't know how you pronounce that. Archive? Archive? Uh, I, I, think, I, I think it's meant to be archive. Yeah. Oh, because, to, oh so it's a key. Yeah, yeah. It's a Greek, it's a Greek key. Okay. That makes more sense. Archive. Okay. Is about um, this stuff. And, and you start off with this thing about the internet started with unicast and broadcast. And, um, you know, it became apparent pretty quickly that we needed to do something about multicast. So why don't we start just even start there and talk to us like about what is going on with what you're seeing from the background of, of multicasts and where you think we're going. Yeah, I mean, this was an exercise. I mean, as the title suggests, you know, just, just to think about multicast and going back to the roots, which is why we started with our multicast. And, and, and John and I, we, we kind of, you know, partners in crime in this because I, I booked him with the storyline because he, he presented something to the ICN community, the information networking community, to talk about Mildecast and how to learn from, you know, the lessons learned from the past and how to how to move forward. So so, so I booked him with it and said, well, what about if you write this together and, and try to shed a light on, you know, how Mildecast can again be interesting. And, and, and the reaction to this, I mean, the reason this is an archive, archive is you can publish anything on archive um, uh, and self-upload it, self-uploaded. We shopped a bit around and we got one interesting reaction when we went and said, well, would you like to publish this? And the, the answer was, well, I'm not entirely sure if Multicast is really interesting to the community. 
and 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 John's reaction was a bit like Marmite. I don't know if you if you know this um, delicious food in the UK. Marmite is I, I don't exactly know what it is either, um, but uh, there, it has a, a tagline, an ad line that says Marmite. You either love it or hate it. And I'm not entirely sure that's true for Maldicast because I think there's also a big community that actually just doesn't care. Right? <laughs> I, like, I don't care about Marmite. I've never eaten it. You know, I, I don't. I don't love it. I don't hate it. But um, I don't care about it. And I think the same is true for Maldicast. We wanted to make Maldicast again interesting. That was the idea of it, which is why we went back and and you know, two IP Maldicast where we know, um, uh, you know similar papers uh, around uh, you know you know economic disincentives that we outline. In our write-up that have very early shown the IP multicast, and I put the IP in front, right? Doesn't really quite work quite well. And a lot of people cite these insights. They said, hey, it doesn't work in the domain. Leave me alone with it. You know, it is it's it's limited. It's 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 doing IPTV, that's it, right? Limited use case and all of that. And we're trying to go through this um, by also removing the IP again and talk about multicast as a communication semantic. And look at various incarnations of multicast. ICN is, is one of them. You can find this in the paper. There's a lengthy discussion on information-centric networking and the various variants that exist. Uh, uh, but also newer work in the ITF on domain local multicast um, that has been discussed recently. Um, Beer being one of them. Let me kind of like talk through and said there may be something interesting there. In particular, if you start thinking also a bit more innovative about use cases, what is it you could be doing with it? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, as a, so, so the, I think part of the issue is, or perhaps the issue is, is that in the IP world, we approach multicast as a way to increase network efficiency, essentially. That's what we do. I mean, if you look at EIGRP's use of multicast going way back and thinking about things nobody thinks about anymore, it's a way to link local, make the process of reliable transport between one to many hosts very efficient. That's all EIGRP does with multicast, you know. Um, and the same thing is true of OSPF and the same thing is true of ISIS, although they're not quite as clever as EIGRP is in the way that it handles link local reliability. Um, they still use versions of multicast to do things. I mean, the OSPF DR is all around. You send a multicast only to the DR, and then the the DR refloods. So that's kind of an interesting use of trying to make use multicast to make things a little more efficient. And then, if you think about the bigger problems in multicast from the IP perspective, beyond the beyond the individual uh, link between this, when you get beyond that, you're thinking about where do I do packet replication? Because normally, if I want to send to a thousand hosts, I have to send a thousand packets. What multicast theoretically allows me to do is to say I send one packet and let the network take care of replicating the packet, right? Which makes sense in a way, but when you reduce multicast to that one thing of making packet transmission more efficient, it feels like you're losing a lot of what multicast should be. Maybe that's just me, but but that's what that's the way I see it. Is like we've reduced it to how do I efficiently transfer packets or data, and and there should be so much more to multicast than that simple. Well, we, we we touched that to an extent. That's a very good point. Um, except for also some of the feedback we got, um, and and uh, even there we go back to the very beginning because even even Deering did not only outline the efficiency aspect that you mentioned, right? It's all about you know packet replication. That's really great, great, but it also talked about the 
the semantic enrichment you have in communication. You can use it for discovery, right? Um, that's, that's not necessarily about efficiency, but it's 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 a beautiful discovery mechanism. And, and even as I said, even IP multicast had that, and and many aspects of of ICN are actually equally about the discovery of information than it is about the efficient replication-based uh, uh, delivery of it. So this, this, the dual aspect is exactly the kind of part that we want to capture in it. John called this really quite nicely, and we have this in the in the paper as well. He calls this the, the water cooler moment, right? The whole idea that you you know you're standing in the morning and, and you're chatting with everybody, and you know what you've been watching yesterday, and that's kind of like a, a multicast semantic as well, which 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 goes towards the discovery aspect. So that you know that's that, that's absolutely true. But even even the efficiency part. I mean, one of the aspects we also put the efficiency part forward is because if you look at this initial goal, a lot of it has been lost, and some of the scenarios where you would immediately think multicast should happen, it doesn't happen. Right? I, I mean, the efficiency aspect is very important if you do live event streaming, but if you do a little bit of time asynchronicity, the multi the multicast effect entirely goes away. We don't do multicast for OTT video, right? Because we introduced asynchronicity, everybody can hit and uh, and hit again the, the the play button. Hence, um, the streams aren't synchronized anymore, and we do everything unicast. A typical scenario where, at the face of it, you would maybe think about multicast, but it isn't done with multicast at all. It's all replicated unicast, right? And we've done some work um, some years ago where we tried to tackle this and and actually looking at new ways of doing multicast, the actual delivery itself, that allows you to capture uh, or do the replication, the multicast replication, even in those scenarios where it's seemingly replicated unicast. Right. Makes for a nice demo, by the way. Um, we, we did this back then. Um, you know, randomly started clients that are pulling chunks from a server, uh, and, you're, and you know this it leads to n different unicast streams, and you look at the network utilization, and it suddenly shows you that it runs only at four times the replication factor. And everybody looks in there and said, how can that be? So why are we doing replication in the network? It, it, it isn't the type of IP multicast group-based um, model that's been used. Right? We described this in the paper with some of the, the newer stuff around beer or SDN-based, path-based forwarding that allows you to do those decisions much, much quicker. And you're getting a replication effect in the network that traditional methods like IPMilecast wouldn't give you. Right? That's, that's the part that we talk about in the new use cases as well. There's a um, historically, I'm always fascinated when when new um, when new protocols come along, how they choose to do the things that they do. Like the thing I was just thinking of was overlays. So VXLAN in its first in, in its first uh, incantation was it was all assumed that you would build this on multicast, and this is how it was bootstrapped was on multicast um, for service discovery of, of VTAP specifically. And then you know, as it's it's very interesting to me that as the technology matured we moved away from multicast pretty quickly and got into, oh no, well, the right way to do this is just use configuration, you know, distribution distribution of configuration information to do that same function that multicast was doing. And we sort of graduated away from multicast when I always thought, I, I, I am, I'm curious what the thinking was, if people just didn't want to deal with multicast, if it was just like, oh, I don't care about that, so let's do something else or, but I, I, and I, and, and this has happened with a few different protocols. Um, I don't know, what, are, what are your thoughts about that? It's influence in other other networking uh, type applications. But it's I mean you mentioned a good point. You know if it's if it's in, in just you know almost bad reputation that leads to that. 
right? And again, um, when we talk about myelic in the paper, we talk about a communication semantic. We don't talk about a specific embodiment. And IP myelic to me, it's an embodiment of it. Uh, and, and maybe it's just a bad reputation. There's too much stuff loaded onto IP myelic that I want to stay away with. But, you know, myelic as a communication semantic can be done in many forms. And, and, and that's what we're trying to tease out in the paper as well. And so, well, well, maybe we've got to think about in various parts of the system to utilize different forms of multicast where even either the discover, these, these two aspects, either discovery or efficiency is of huge benefit, you know, and, and, and you can find use cases where it's either or. And, and one of the problems, I think we actually make our networks more complex because we ignore these problems and we don't think about them very well. For instance, one of the reasons we even have layer two overlays, I don't even think layer two overlays would exist if we didn't have the service discovery problems that we do, right? I mean, the reason you have layer two overlays, in my mind, is that you have this ARP problem and you want to be able to move a virtual host from point A to point B in the network and it's got to carry its MAC address with it in order to not lose connectivity. And that's, you know, this weird thing around not only are we treating the IP address as a host identifier, but we're actually treating the, the MAC address as a host identifier, which is even worse than the IP address as a host identifier. But a lot of that just revolves around we just don't do multicast well. We don't think about it in multicast paradigm. Like, okay, the service moves Great. How do I discover it? Oh, we have this thing called multicast. It runs on everything. It's already out there. It's deployed. Let's just use that. And we can go discover where that service moved to. Now, we have Anycast on the other side, which I think is an interesting reversal of the paradigm of multicast that still does kind of a service discovery thing, but the, at the IP layer. And so maybe we want to talk a little bit about the differences there. But I think a lot of the problem, like what you're talking about, Tom, with, with VXLAN and stuff, is that people look at multicast and they think, First of all, there's not a lot of chipsets that support it very well. Honestly, the chipsets aren't there because people don't really do the, do the work of actually doing anything with it. It's, it's not intuitive for people. Unicast is very intuitive. Multicast is much harder. You have to think in terms of these reverse trees and, and stuff like that. And like, so people just don't do it. I mean, they just immediately move away from it. And I think a third reason might be is because we tend to think of multicast as being more reactive rather than proactive. And my preference as a control plane is that you're always proactive, right? Is that you advertise where things are before you need the information. I've seen lots and lots of problems with, with reactive control planes. And so it's, it's a little, anytime somebody brings up a reactive control plane to me, I'm like, yeah, I lived through the fast cash meltdown at Cisco. That to me is the classic example of a reactive control plane. And thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> So I don't know. There's a lot not in there to, dirt to chew out a little bit and think about. But we're coming back to one of the drivers to rethink about multicast, and this is you know I mean, you, you mentioned you know the lack of chips at the board. It's in a way it's a chip and, uh, chicken and egg problem, right? I mean, if 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 if, if nobody really wants to use it, if 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 we have uh, very little, if, even if you got the use cases out of protocols and go into the application level, um, multicast had been reduced very very quickly to 
things at the application level that very few people only care about, large carriers maybe to do you know, live events. But uh, it moved away rather quickly from individual group communication. We mentioned this in the paper as well. Why is, are we doing Zoom sessions among three people and we're doing them all via replication? Right. Um, it, it, it's, it's a beautiful multicast scenario. It just And it was initially multicast. The initial tools were multicast based. They were all disbanded, disbanded and we are now doing unicast replication with almost everything, every group communication in, in a smaller sense. And a lot of scenarios are in fact group communication. I feel, if, if anything, very often individual unicast communication is almost the exception. A lot of it um, actually ends up to be a, a one to two or one to many a communication scenario, even in real life, right? Uh, and, uh, and and that's one of the one of the paradigms that really came out in in ICN, for instance, where the concurrent retrieval is is just something that that's naturally being built in the communication mechanism, and individual retrieval is actually seen as being the the exception. When is somebody really retrieving something that is entirely unique? Maybe my website. Nobody's going on that one. So only I. <laughs> <laughs> but this, 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 this thing, you know, that's, that's it, it, the 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 users were there, and they still are there. That's why we also list the use case in the paper. Um, but it's being being pushed in a niche, and I don't know exactly what the reason was for that. Is it is it commercial to an extent, or is it the fear of dealing with something that's being seen as too complex? But even if I'm an application programmer, do I care about spending trees underneath? I don't even know what that is, right? I, mean, I would just like to have an interface that says, well, can I please disseminate these things? Um, uh, and, and they go to many people at the same time. I'll actually offer a theory, I think. Maybe, perhaps. Maybe this is bunk, but hey, who knows? Is that we as humans like services. We don't like Lego block systems where we put things together ourselves. We want to go buy a car. We don't want to go buy all the pieces and parts of a car and put it together ourselves. And so we have a natural inbuilt tendency for centralization. And this is, again, if I can go to a company and say, I want a video conferencing system, and I don't mind if everything goes through your servers, then that's going to be a lot cleaner looking service than if somebody says, I'm going to offer you an application that uses multicast. And you've got to put all the multicast bits and pieces together to make the application work. So I think there's some drive into centralization here as well. And by the way, it also helps the bigger companies, right? It helps companies to say, well, we don't have multicast, so therefore we're just going to do this whole unicast thing and we're going to make it very, very efficient. And so I wonder sometimes that, you know, if we, if we don't, um, if somebody did offer something like Zoom or Blue Jeans or whatever the case is, and said, all right, within your company, you don't have to pay for anything. You don't need a server or anything. You just multicast. Would people buy it? Yeah, but it wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be a great proposition for a company to rely on that technology because I do not need to maintain service. Yeah. So, so I don't. So I don't agree to. I don't agree to the tendency to centralization. But that leads us a little bit off. You know, what is the reason that we yeah. see centralization in the internet? Is it is it is it a technical phenomenon, or is it I don't know the NSA wanting to be somewhere in the middle? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know um, but, I think it's but, all of the above. By the way, I think yeah, there's all sorts probably, of probably. That, but, but peer-to-peer communication. And maybe I misunderstood. You know how how the internet was meant to work. But peer-to-peer communication, I thought, was at the start of it. 
I think the mediaries were the exception. And nowadays, unfortunately, and it's not just yeah. a multicast thing, even for unicast communication, we have an intermediary. And I do wonder why, right? And and I don't think for a company it can be particularly appealing because, as I said, I need to maintain that intermediary. Um, I don't think necessarily for me as a customer it is appealing. If, if I forget privacy for a moment, maybe. It is about I have to rely on somebody whose server is running, right? I mean, it infuriates me that I, when if I want to buy a camera to watch our cat, a camera that has a traditional, it's called a web server on it. It uses port punching in order to be directly accessible by its IPv4 or IPv6 address. I have to pay more than for a cloud-based camera. And that really annoys me, not only because I have to pay more for something that actually should be simpler to do, but annoyingly, my experience with cloud-based services are not necessarily the best one. I'm very particular if, when I want to watch our cat. I want to watch it when I want to watch it. I don't want to watch it when Google, when the service XYZ is up and running and not down. Yeah. Right? And it infuriates me. So I don't think, so I don't buy this aspect. I think we've just gotten too used to having somebody in the middle. But it's not a good idea. I go out of my way to buy cameras that are not cloud-based. And then I use like a Synology or a local NAS to do all the recording. And partly because I don't want all this stuff on the cloud. Thanks. But, you know, no, I don't want it on the cloud. I have my own hard drives. And, and it's just as easy for me to maintain those hard drives as it is for me to pay a cloud service to, to basically do that. Well, one of the examples we, we, we touch a little bit on um, in, in, in the paper is the current controversy in, uh, was around MS Teams in, in, in Europe. When the pandemic hit and most of the schools were unprepared, um, pupils are staying, students are staying at home, what are we going to do with them? Uh, there's this electronic stuff. Big companies, Microsoft and others, offered and Zoom offered their services, you know, gracefully to all the various schools. The problem, though, is, as you may know, the data management laws in, 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 in Europe are significantly tighter than in other parts of the world. And now, even though the actual, uh, uh, the actual uh, privacy uh, conditions of teams are actually violating local laws, and it's even worse, these are minors which are underlying specific protection under European law, they actually, uh, 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 even adults and, and parents were asking, why are we using and pardon, in this case, it's an American centralized one, but hey, you know, a centralized system where somebody can tap into the communication of our kids and we are not localized. This is a school. Everybody lives around, you know, 30 kilometers around. And so there is an increasing movement here and, uh, you know, about understanding why this communication cannot be done as you would maybe intuitively expect it is done rather than centralizing it with with extraterritorial access of another government into the data of minors, right? So, so I don't think the centralization is something that comes natural to many people. And, 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 and there is a pushback and saying, well, if I want to communicate with 10 people, let me communicate with 10 people. That doesn't need to be anybody in the middle. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the perfect use case is group chats, right? Like you said, Zoom but, 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 or video conferencing in general, but also just group chats, right? Like, I have a mass text going with my wife and my daughter, right? And they call it a mass text. It's not a mass, it's like three of us, right? And we're constantly chatting about whatever's going on around the house and what we're eating for dinner and blah, blah, blah. It's like, why isn't that multicast? Why is that going to some provider 
And then across providers, because one of us is on a different cell phone provider than the other two. And then like, it's got to go across all those gateways and everything when they're sitting here in the same house with me. Like it doesn't, that doesn't, that's not necessarily very rational, right? I like what we're saying about decentralization and what, I mean, we have the medium to communicate across. Why are we artificially sticking a central entity in it when we don't need it? So I, I like all that. One of the questions that naturally follows is it is basically impossible to deliver, deliver a global communications medium under one entity. It's, it's going to be the cooperation of different service providers, different um, last miles, all that kind of stuff. So what that made me think of, and I was wondering what you guys thought about, why was intradomain multicast so hard? What was what was the thing about it that made it basically non-viable? I, I remember reading a book, Intradomain uh, Multicast, a long time, years ago, but obviously it's not a thing. What are the difficulties specifically with intradomain? So the one that we mentioned in the, in, in the paper is economic disincentive, um, and, and, uh, which, which comes together with the fact that you don't count packets properly. Right? If, you, if you did, if, you, if there was proper accountability, you, you, know, you, you could remove that disincentive. Uh, and that's one of the issues in ICN as well, right? ICN in the domain is very difficult for the same reasons, because if you do downward, street, uh, downward caching, um, you don't really know the value of a transmitted bit, and, and, and that clearly kind of hurts your peering relation right uh, or as we put it in an icn paper years ago actually copying a packet over a peering relation several times needlessly is economically better than caching and replicating it locally that's unfortunately how how, how the money flows right so that was a, a big thing but as I said, john had a very nice presentation at the icn acm icn conference last 2022 yes last year where he went through those various lessons. And, and uh, another one is how do you deal with security, but we can deal with that. Um, uh, multicast is a massive attack vector. Uh, hey, I, 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 don't, I don't have to do a denial of service attack. I have naturally one, right? Because I can flood <laughs> um, from the other side of the world, by the way, if it's into domain. Um, uh, so he, he tackles a few of them, but we have solutions to quite a number of them on the other hand, right? But they, they hadn't been deployed. I think the economic one is the, the hardest one. I mean, I remember my early days of working in Cisco TAC, and I noted that a particular provider was going out and trying to get their customers to take whole feeds rather than partials or rather than quad zeros. Why? Because from their perspective, and, and they were doing extreme versions of hot potato routing, uh, um, cold potato routing, not hot potato routing, cold potato routing, where they were trying to push as much as they could across the link between them and their customer. Why? Because their assumption was, was as the link fills up, the customer will buy more link. And because it's their link that's filling up with their provider, they'll be buying more link from them instead of their other provider. So this is a lot of what drives the economics of the internet. And like you're saying, Dirk, you know, you can't like, with multicast, on the inbound side of my AS, I am getting one packet and I'm sending 100. And there's no way for me to charge for the 100. I can only charge really for the one. So it's really hard for me as a provider to think about how I would do anything with that financially, right? I'm using resources but I'm basically using resources I don't get paid for, right? And so there's got to be an economic model that allows you to do that. Now, perhaps the economic model is 
peer-to-peer should be local anyway. And so therefore, this is maybe multicast needs to come back to a revival from the local perspective to say these are like within my house, I could in technically, I could set up multicast within my own network and set up some type of application that everybody in my house could use to communicate. Now, when they're not here, that's a problem, right? That's another entire issue. But that, that, that I, I don't know, maybe there's something there that would be useful for them. This, this is what I meant a bit before with the, you know, um, I think IP Marcus has gotten a bad reputation because of the inter-domain failure, but we are, we are really overlooking and said, oh, okay, I get this. You know, once you start moving uh, or you're going to the IETF in Japan and you want to continue with your family's chat, well, you've got to solve the actual inter-domain problem. But, you know, there, maybe there are other problems. You do a part, you do a partial um, unicast and and, and, and and a local relay. These are not the ones, but I think the domain local one is a very good one. Um, they, they, they are just so many and they again the the school scenario i gave before you, know, you think about all the schools in a, in, a, in a country even if you were to do interdomain i put this in air quotes because interdomain you would talk about in a country three in, in germany three major providers you can do a peering agreement that would actually really you know consider the 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 replication effect you know uh, so you can deal with that uh, it's not it's not a it's not a global communication and for the odd cases where the school class goes to vacation in a different country you find a different way of dealing with it right but the the domain local one uh, uh, i think it's, it's it's entirely overlooked there are so many of them think about the use case i talked about before over the top video most of the time we're talking about a local playout from a local pop that's entirely domain local a huge waste if you look at the the the, the waste we're having in, in People watching the same, but just because there isn't a group notion in over-the-top video, they will have individual uh, individual sessions is tremendous, and the savings could be tremendous. Now, the other thing is, of course, mentioned economics. That's how the internet works. I mean, we do mention this a bit in the paper as well, and this is um, initiatives. And again, given that we're sitting in Europe, we are, we are very European biased, maybe in the paper, but I'm sure you know there are similar discussions in other parts of the world. Um, and that's the green aspect. Maybe we got to rethink about models where going to my customer and say, well, if you're wasting a lot on your side, this is good for me because I can sell you more waste is a good thing. I mean, there is something out there. I don't know if people call it the climate crisis. You know, you may have heard about it. Um, but the whole idea of wasting energy and resources on needless unicast replication just isn't a good idea, right? Uh, and and, uh, and and maybe the economic model has to change and reward localized replication, even though in the old model you lost out. This is also why we wanted to put this there, because it, it does require research. Right? This is research on your economic model. So we're you know, also discussing with some people who know economics better than we do on how that would even look like. So this is not just technology, because we've seen in IP Mildecast, if the economic model isn't the right one, it'll die anyway, because nobody's going to deploy it. But it, maybe it needs that connection, right? And 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 making domain local multicast more efficient, I think, is something that technologically is much easier, and it's still worthwhile doing because there's a lot of waste going on. And again, I think maybe starting local is the way to fix this, is to get people to think about multicast more. I think part of the problem we have in the internet is, oh, we're going to go solve a new way of slicing bread, and we're going to smear it all over the internet, and everything is going to work, and and this has become a thing, not just with multicast, but in general, that every problem we have to solve, we have to solve globally. And we have to solve it for every corner case possible. And it's like, no, you really can't. 
solve every corner case and you can't really solve the problem globally, you've got to go solve a problem. Let's go solve that problem. And then we can solve those other problems in other ways, or maybe we'll glom onto the solution for those other problems too. But um, I don't know. The networking world is like this though, right? We forget both. We're either all CCIEs and we're focused on how to configure things, or we're all looking at, well, I can solve every problem in the world by doing this one thing. And there's almost no in, in between in the networking world. There's almost nothing in between, unfortunately. Like there, there's, I don't know. I, I face this all the time, by the way. This is like a, a constant frustration for me is that you get in a situation and everybody's always like, well, how do I configure that? And you're like, no, let's talk about how it works. But then on the other side, you get these people who have these big grand designs and they put them up on the whiteboard and there's no way to actually make it work. Like there's no in between a lot of times. And so I think that's a lot of what plagues multicast as well, unfortunately. No, there's, it's, it's, it's a good point because some of the reactions we also got to the paper, uh, to the paper people pointed almost immediately out and said, oh, it's never going to work globally. And said, oh, that's fine with me. And maybe that's exactly clo- globally where the intermediary comes in. And I can accept for dedicated, let's say, solving the case of you're going to the ITF wanting to talk to your family at home, there's an intermediary involved. I can live with that. But all the domain local ones, giving them up just because global doesn't work, um, and so you, you you play that back and people said, oh, okay, okay, I see where they're coming from. Yeah, but we should be more coming from it. Communication is a lot about local communication. I do love the fascination that the, the global internet gives us. Discover something on the other side of the earth is really, really great. The serendipity is crazy. But sometimes they are just mundane local communication things. And if they are just too costly because we're just wasting energy, that's just not a good way to start with. So this in-between that you point out is absolutely important. I think it seems very often we just forget about that. Yeah. You know? yeah. And yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not, when we talk about energy, it's not just energy, right? It's also time. It's also privacy. Every time you go, like you said before, every time you go through the intermediary, you're losing a bit of your privacy. And there's this huge myth, well, if I didn't do anything wrong, then I don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. That's a myth. <laughs> I said it's a myth because it's a myth. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, the, the thing, this is, you know, I think one of the interesting ones that, you know, that's, that's, um, Always, I find, I, I know maybe around technologists, we don't like talking about people who are not necessarily technologists and think, but still think about the internet, you know, people who do regulation and we, we, we make cross signs and say, well, regulation is a bad thing. But there's a lot of discussion around, um, there's a lot of on regulation happening, uh, not only when it comes to, you know, the energy aspect, but when it comes to the localization aspect I mentioned before, you know, going back to the school example, a lot of the, the discussion in that particular school example is driven by the school authorities that, that finally woke up after the pandemic is over and said, there's a actually in law enshrined in, in Europe, a data localization mandate. And what did we do there two, two years ago by actually transporting this data off to Irish service, right? Um, we clearly violated existing law. Um, um, it was a very young law when it came out, because um, GDPR is not that old, right? But um, still, uh, you know, they're recognizing that unfortunately we need to go back and think about things. 
and data localization is a, is a, is a very critical one. Um, you read data localization everywhere in, when it comes to industry 4.0. Um, so factories are very, very keen on exploring cloud-based services, but all under the mantra of data localization. So now transporting things off is extremely important to them for obvious reasons. Trade secrets you can't properly protect, unfortunately. Um, so all this kind of stuff, that's, that's certainly maybe something, again, can also drive the interest in multicast, again, because that's just um, something you need to think from your ecosystem, just demanding that you think about domain locally. Yeah. So, so one thing that you talk about in here, we haven't covered so far, is DDoS. And I know DDoS is a big deal. And we see the DDoS attacks getting larger and larger and lots of new clever ways of doing DDoS and um, just anything to do, not just DDoS, but, you know, a lot of people think DDoS by itself is the problem. In reality, DDoS is, is like not random. It's not as random as people think it is. Um, people do DDoS in order to sneak in a back end a lot of sometimes, at least not always, but sometimes. Like, I'll do this DDoS attack over here and get your security team really occupied. And now I'll go in on the other side and I'll figure out how to do lateral movement within your network while you're not looking, right? Basically kind of a thing. It's it's Sometimes it's the magician's sleight of hand stuff that's going on. But anyway, you talk about DDoS and how multicast kind of opens up this whole DDoS thing. So what what if people are concerned about DDoS? Like, what is, is there a solution? Is that just like, okay, we've got to do more or what, what do we do? With that, yeah, John brought up the DDoS in his in, in his presentation, um, and and um, I mean there are various methods, both in 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 IP multicast. Some of the localized mechanisms, it's it, it's even easier to do. Um, we mentioned a number of the um, source based uh, forwarding scenarios where disabling uh, um, disabling particular sources, and it's relatively easy to implement um, uh, the. The generation of uh, of because the multicast in 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 these type of SDN and beer based scenarios is not directly address based. It is forwarding information based, and creating forwarding information, false forwarding information is only to a certain extent possible. So me generating a viable uh, forwarding identifier that would allow me to flood others is is not necessarily as easy as saying, well, I just have to send that on that IP multicast address, and then it's hopefully going in the network. Right. So there are various ways of doing uh, doing it, but it, it's to an extent also um, uh, technology dependent. So my practical experience with this is that anytime I designed a network where multicast was was seen as the solution where it was used, I always migrated away from any source to source specific. Like I could never find a justification for any source multicast in real practical applications. And, you know, sometimes there were some legacy things, but those were that, 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 that was the only way to make it work. But the vast majority of the time, not even for security, just for operational and keeping my sanity, um, source specific was the way. And so I think you can sh- close off a lot of that attack surface just by not using any source. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's my experience. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's that's the evolution that's the, that the paper outlines for for IP multicast exactly. You know, moving away from any source to source specific, and in the environment where you do, in particular for the service discovery, if you if you look at um, cl- more close environments like like vehicular, in vehicle, or vehicle to vehicle environments where multicast may be used for service discovery, you have a much more trusted group of actual senders and even though it is technically in any source it's still source specific because obviously uh, you know it's very hard to block 
a, a you know fraudulent brake sensor in the in the car. So that's the um, I think what definitely a key step to doing with any source. And I said in some of the forwarding based ones, effectively you do not have any source because the 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 actual forwarding identifier is the one that implicitly identifies you. And depending on how easy it is for you to construct a forwarding identifier, you can also suppress uh, the um, uh, DOS attacks as well. So the ICN case in particular is interesting because it's a different kind of a multicast than what we're accustomed to, because basically it's more of a CDN, right? Content distribution network, which most people don't think of as being a multicast use case. But in a sense, it really is, right? You're putting the data out there in a particular location to forward place it so that now that people can reach it closer to them. So you're so it's kind of a, a, a time variant multicast. It's not an immediate, I send the packet and in near real time it's delivered through the network to the right. Is that is that how you're thinking about ICN or is it is is that off base? No, no, no. That's absolutely that's absolutely right. I think this, that, that's exactly where the two words co- converge. You know, ICN uh, and 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 C. Also, CDNs has taken away a lot of the problems, if you will, in 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 um, content distribution using multicast over into domains because you're not using into domain multicast, but you're doing your front loading the content, right? And then, unfortunately, you're not using multicast domain local anymore because you're using um, replicated. Uh, unicast and that's I think where where in a way ICM sets on by by really also the last bit the actual uh, the actual delivery the interest uh, delivery uh, and data delivery to 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 uh, result in an actual multicast um, and that's a little bit like what we've done with some of the HTTP work as well so we try to transfer that onto existing internet services ICN being a new routing paradigm it changes a lot of the various factors and protocols and you can do similar things for the CDN world right and this is the demo that I mentioned before so when the people so the last mile which means the pulling out of the local pop is still being done in unicast replication and even there you can slide essentially a multicast model underneath and you, you you're doing a um, very ad hoc dynamic multicast which 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 can be uh, which is created based on every chunk request that comes in. So what we should probably do is we should set up a show just to talk about ICN because we've never done one. We could probably spend an hour or two just talking about ICN. Um, I haven't looked at it in a while. It's been a while since I've done anything with ICN, but um, I know things are still developing there. Um, the other interesting use case you, you mentioned here is IoT. And I think you're thinking in terms of, or, or the paper is, is talking in terms of service discovery again, right? Is that the primary thing you're thinking about IoT? Or are you thinking more about the ability to multicast to all the light switches in your house to turn off at a certain time or something like that? Which direction are you? It, it, it has both. The discovery one, I think, is the, is, is, is the stronger one um, uh, in, in, in many of the IoT scenarios. You do have, I mean, the, the switching all the lights off it's very sporadic. That's probably not the not the, not the biggest gain, really. So it's mainly the discovery part. Um, they they are also um, efficiency when it comes to um, control and large scale IoT sensor deployments. And so in agriculture deployments, you would sometimes see um, data being flooded to all of the sensors. Um, so using uh, again using uh, multicast for that for efficiency purposes may also be a good thing. So in that case, it's not the discovery, but it's the control of, of those various sensors to to calibrate and, and stuff like that. So it's that particular aspect as well. Yeah, that's interesting because I can think of situations where 
you might want to say, turn this light off. In production line situations where you say, okay, I want to turn this machine on, but I want everybody else on the production line to know that machine is coming on. So therefore, even though it's a unicast turn on message, it's a multicast turn off message or notification message at the same time. And we don't often think about those kinds of use cases, but there are use cases like that out there, right? Okay, well, I think that pretty much covers the paper unless you have something else you want to talk about in it. We could wrap up and plan a show on ICN because I think ICN would be really interesting to go into. <laughs> um, no, no, I don't. I mean, they, there's quite a bit of ICN in the paper. That's 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 accidental, or maybe not accidental, given that ICN has so much multicast aspects in it. And I think that's an interesting angle. There, there, there are diff many different angles for with, with ICN that are not only related to the delivery mechanism, uh, and that's certainly worth by spending an hour on. Yeah. Um, um, you know, you know, on that. I think that's why it's interesting. All right, good. So we'll schedule that. So, Tom, where can people follow you? Get in touch with you if they want to. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. Search for Tom Ammon. Tom Ammon. And don't look for a blog. No. Nope. Because you won't find, find it. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I don't write as much as I should be. I, I'm, I'm working on this book, so I'm kind of like, I'm written out right now. Among other things, I need to work on. So, Dirk, where can people follow you? Are you mostly on Archive? Do you have a blog? Do you have other places people can follow what you're working on? Um, well, kind of, I'm definitely on LinkedIn, um, I'm actually quite a bit uh, posting once in a while. Um, I also do Fediverse, so I got off the other Bluebird and went on to the distributed one, so I mastered on as well. Okay. And I think if you type my name and it's unique enough, you will find the website awesome. as well. Great. Not, there, there are not too many trusses around. Yeah, we'll make sure we at least put your last name in the show notes so that people can find you. Sometimes we just say Dirk and we don't like, you know. <laughs> Like the last thing doesn't show up and people are like, who was that masked person? Like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> we, we, we may need to fix that a little bit. So yeah, awesome. Okay, I'm Russ White. You can always find me here at The Hedge. You can find me on will11.tech. You can sometimes find me on Packet Pushers. I don't know. You just find me wherever. It's all good. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge and we will catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.